Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your AEW Full Gear 2022 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is Thursday so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk about everything that went down this past week in AEW, but not only that, we are going to give you ultimate preview for AEW Full Gear, the company's final pay-per-view of 2022. Unlike most Thursday shows, though, the Silver King is not riding solo. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, but before we get to him, I need to get to this and remind you that this podcast is all about Defy. So don't forget to leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Take a little extra time out of your lives. Leave a written review as well. Let everyone know why you listen to the show, why you love it, and tell them why they should subscribe. The written reviews, super, super helpful in helping us grow. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's always a good idea to follow us for episode drops, wrestling news, videos and gifts, all that t- fun stuff. Also commentary during all the television shows, but it's particularly important to follow us during pay-per-view weeks because we have pre and post-show polls that we post that you guys get to uh, you know join in. You get to tell us what your thoughts are going into a pay-per-view and coming out of it. And we do live pre-shows before pay-per-views on Twitter spaces. And you can find all of that by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. Chris, I think I was uh, very expeditious getting that intro done today. I also welcome you to a rare Thursday appearance here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast to talk AEW. Now, just to give everyone a little context in terms of your AEW watching, as of late, football season, we're both extremely busy. Uh, You have not necessarily been able to watch as much as usual, but you are cut up ahead of full gear. Is that correct? Yeah, I I had to I just kind of been away from it for like a month. Uh, just football, everything got busy. Like I don't even watch SmackDown live either. I have to watch that on, on Sunday and also just lots of work. So kind of was away from it for a month, still followed, still knew what was going on just through Twitter and, and stuff like that. But I did watch Dynamite last night, uh, get get all the previews and everything all, all set for that. So um, good to be back watching AEW. And I got to say, despite being about a month out, I honestly feel like I didn't miss anything. Everybody's still doing the same feuds for the most part, and they mm-hmm. haven't been resolved. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, I, I know some people have been down on AEW recently, and I don't know, maybe that was part of it. I, I do find it interesting a little bit with AEW how, you know, there's so much time between their shows, but it doesn't feel like that much happens. It, it, you know, when you have four months between pay-per-views, you really should have like a two-month feud that is TV only. And then once that ends, a two-month feud leading into the pay-per-view, right? Like, it's okay if something like a number one contendership is decided, such as with MJF. But really, a lot of the things feel rushed almost, where it's like there's inklings of it initially, and then it doesn't really happen. It's completely forgotten about. And then two or three weeks before the show, it starts heating up again. And then you get the resolution on the go-home show with AEW. That's generally how it feels. It doesn't really feel like... I'm not saying the matches don't have build because some of them absolutely do have legitimate build. Some of them long-term build, but a number of them also just kind of feel like thrown together, rather unimportant. And when you have only four pay-per-views a year, all of them should feel really important. And the vast majority of the matches on all of the pay-per-views should feel really important because you've had the time 
to build them and develop them. And there, in just many cases, that, that's not how I feel going into this card. Yeah, I think I think the calendar is part of it because a lot of these feuds were shoot even going on at the last pay per view, and and it's it's like if you if did that, you just if say you shoot the, instead of shit? I'm just curious. No, wait, what did I say? You said a lot of these feuds shoot were going on. <laughs> no, I mean like literally. Shoot, yeah, I said shoot. Yeah, we, we, we try to keep a little family friendly a little do bit it, here from time to time. Sure, but I just I haven't heard someone say shoot. It's like howdy partner. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, was, I was thinking of you like Woody in Toy Story or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. No, like like it's just they you want to get the big moment, but the big moment's so far away because it's three months or whatever it is, and so mm-hmm. just things have been kind of just dragging for a bit. So hopefully. This is a pay-per-view where we close the book on a lot of stories and we move into the new ones moving forward. And I think the main event of this show is kind of the prime example of that. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, four pay-per-views would be three months between them, not not four. Yes, correct. So, and you know what? In other shows, there's been a lot of um, special events, right? That the special mm-hmm. dynamites and we talked, you know, in between whatever preceded all out, maybe it was double or nothing du- between double or nothing or all out. There were like seven special events on TV. So like they they didn't really have the time really to build, you know, for all out because that happened. And I, I guess it's kind of similar uh, or sorry, not as similar here because they didn't have as many special events that they did have grand slam, which certainly was between uh, all out here and full gear. So look, we got a lot to talk about. The AEW full gear ultimate preview is going to take up the vast majority of the show. Before we get to that, there are a couple extenuating items that happened on Rampage this past Friday. I'm going to run through those really quick. We're going to bring Chris in right after that, and we're going to do the AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. So on Rampage, we had an All-Atlantic Championship match, Orange Cassidy defending against Lee Johnson, the best friends in the factory, people, like they all got into it outside. Orange hit a springboard moonsault to take them out. Johnson nailed a blue thunderbomb. Nick Camarado went to slam Cassidy when Trent Beretta speared him. Chuck Taylor then completely missed a Topek on Hero. Orange hit a Tornado DDT. He missed two orange punches, but he caught Johnson with the backbreaker, or beach break, backbreaker, I don't know why I said that, with the beach break to retain the title. Uh, Some good action in this match. I continue to find it strange that the All-Atlantic title is being treated now like a TV title, like the TNT title, when that's not how it was introduced when Pac had it. So, you know, I don't really love what they're doing with Orange Cassidy, just defending it against random people all the time when really that's what the TNT championship was supposed to be for. Also, a feud with the factory, it's not really doing anything for me. But, you know, whatever. It's a mid-card type of low-card feud. It's fine. Uh, on Rampage, there was a third House of Black vignette with a really cool voiceover for it. It was the same resurrection imagery that we got mixed with highlights of House of Black losing to Sting, Darby Allen, and Miro. Brody King emerged from Ash, Buddy Matthews from Water, and Malachi Black from Fire. I just thought it was really cool and well-produced. And then also, uh, Lee Moriarty on Rampage said his confidence is at an all-time high, and he's ready to collect gold from any champion. Hook walked up, said nothing, and then left. And that's literally the entire storyline for this match. I figured that it was going to be on the buy-in, but it's just on Rampage, which is probably better. Uh, Hook, to me, may be the most overrated wrestler in the industry right now. Like He's got a great presence, and it's cool that the fans like him, but he has not developed one iota since he debuted. And it's just kind of frustrating that he gets so much time, but nothing else is really happening with him. And one more thing, I did get a DM from Jesse RP at Jessica09, 
uh, who wrote in, I'm glad Tony Schiavone has gotten the bag from AEW. Seems like a genuinely delightful and kind human and also was a significant voice of my childhood wrestling fandom. But I am so exhausted of him saying, quote, guys, this match is just so fun, unquote, or <laughs> quote, guys, this is really an incredible match we're witnessing, unquote, or quote, what an incredible night we're having, unquote. Like the guys at a lame party telling his buddies, quote, man, I'm having a great time. What do you think? Uh, I, I agree. Like the AEW commentary, Excalibur does a really damn good job. And the majority of the time, the other people that are there with him, Tony Schiavone included, uh, certainly Jim Ross, Chris Jericho sometimes is on commentary, Ricky Starks, all these people, they actually do a really good job commentating during matches. I totally left out Taz, who may be one of the best out of all of them, right? But the forced injections of, we have the best wrestling, oh my God, this match is so great, can you guys believe what you're seeing? All these things that you just said, oh my God, this is so fun, can you guys believe this incredible match that we're seeing? It really takes me out of it. Chris, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I wanted to mention it. Obviously, I wanted to read the DM. Do you kind of have that same take when you're listening to uh, AEW commentary? Yeah, a little bit. It, 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 honestly, it's a very WWE thing to do, uh, to, to try to talk about how amazing something is that you're watching instead of just like it kind of speaking for itself. Um, you're right. It does take me out of it because... I fully believe in AW as its own company. It's kind of like the shots at WWE. Like, you don't need to tell me how awesome you are. Like, I'm watching your show. Like, I, I know it's great. That's what's making me awesome. Making me feel like it's awesome. It is a lot. It does happen, like, multiple times every episode. Yeah, like, every once in a while, if something incredible happens, please tell me it's, you know, I'm not going to hate you for saying it's incredible. If Kenny Omega does some sick thing, or Ray Phoenix is probably the best example, does something that you just think is not humanly possible for someone to accomplish, or Bandito, then say as much. Totally. Of course, if it's incredible, it's incredible. But like, when you have Orange Cassidy and Lee Johnson wrestling, I don't need to hear how incredible the product is. Like, I'm, the, not, the, saying it's the, not, I'm not saying it's not good, but... You know, the, the issue is they need they need different descriptors. And this is this is what good commentary would be And Excalibur doesn't really do that because he's such a nuts and bolts type of guy where mm -hmm. he's describing moves, describing what's happening. You don't have you, you need someone kind of telling kind of feeling the moment as opposed to just saying like, this is fun. This is awesome. Like, you need Jim, be... you need Jim Ross 15 years ago. Yeah. The old, the old Jim Ross, he's the best ever at that. He is the best ever at making a moment feel bigger by talking about some theme or just some feeling describing a feeling like deep inside more than just like, it's fun and it's awesome. Yeah. You nailed it. Exactly. You know, don't want to harp on it anymore, but you know, we get DMS, we promise to read them. It didn't get really that many, uh, regarding Full Gear, unfortunately, I thought we'd have the opportunity to to read some more on here um, and have questions and comments, but, you know, that's fine. Maybe we'll get them for the instant analysis or for next week coming out of it. Let's move to the AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. There's 11 matches, plus I assume they're going to add some for the pre-show, but they haven't been announced yet. Look, 11 matches, right? The card's too big. We, we've talked about this previously. And looking at this card, there's at least four matches, maybe five, that should just probably not be on the pay-per-view whatsoever. Now, I'm not suggesting it should be a six-match card. No, they only do four a year. But the point is, if they had taken a couple of these and put them as major TV matches leading into and coming out of the show, they could have spent a little bit more time on the other matches to give us a really strong 
eight, nine match pay-per-view card. And that's really around the number that I think it should be at, you know, maybe a maximum of 10, including buy-in kickoff show type of matches. But like things like the Sting and Jeff Jarrett match, the TNT title match, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, there's others too. They just don't necessarily need to be on the show. I think the card would have been less bloated and feuds would have been focused more if they just narrowed things down a little bit. Yeah, that's the case with every AW pay-per-view. You can all you feel like you could shave off maybe four matches and make it an elite card, but it's just kind of, you know, we we come to expect it at this point. And and the other thing to note is that um seven of the eleven matches are for a championship. Yes. And and one other is for a uh number one contender spot, which is fine. But right. uh yeah, just you know, the the same old issue of lots of titles. But was that new. pun intended or not intended in an elite card? When you said that. Not intended, actually. Not intended. Okay. Uh, let's get into the 11 matches. Uh, let's start with the TBS Championship. Jade Cargill defending against Nyla Rose on Rampage. Nyla fought Kayla Sparks. Rose mocked Cargill by doing her entire moveset and mannerisms, hitting Jade for the win in 40 seconds. That was the only women's match on Rampage. Jade and the baddies attacked after with Cargill easily laying out Rose with a big boot, but she was unable to reclaim the stolen TBS title. This was just bad. Jade's reign and her booking, it's largely been terrible. And there's really just no way that Nyla is going to be the one to beat her for the title. So yeah, uh, my prediction is Jade Cargill. I forgot to kind of give the normal intro that we do for these uh, ultimate previews. We'll give you the predictions and picks and we'll talk about storylines going forward for all these matches. We're also going to discuss everything that happened on Rampage and Dynamite leading into the matches themselves. My bad for not doing that initially here. Nevertheless, you guys heard my take already. Jade retains the title and... Yeah, that's really it. You know, in a normal situation, like, I I should be fired up for this match. Like, Nyla Rose Agreed. Yes. as a wrestler is awesome. Jade Cargill can be a star. And instead, this whole thing revolves around just stealing somebody's title. That's kind of annoying. It's actually, normally, there wouldn't be so much story in an AEW match. It would be just about the wrestling. And I kind of want, it's like the reverse here when that's actually what I want because of that reason, I, I am picking Jade to continue. And I just, you're right that her, her reign has been a letdown. I don't know what it is, but I feel like she just needs to be more focus on her. She gets like a little bit of time every week instead of like a lot of time every other week or something. And so there's no opportunity for growth as much there. Um, pick is Jade. I'm very curious how this match goes. I think it could be solid or it could be horrible. So we'll see. Yeah, there's this weird thing with AEW and they do it throughout a number of different um, storylines. And it's that if something happens to derail the planned booking, someone gets injured in the case of certainly the elite suspended. Um, someone does something that they need to get punished. AEW doesn't just change their plans. They delay what they eventually wanted to do. So like the goal here, or it seemed like the plan, was for Chris Statlander to take the TBS title off of Jade Cargill, which is great. That was a really, would have been a really smart piece of booking. She is the perfect person to beat Jade. She can match up to her size-wise, super athletic, really talented, a great person to put over. But she got injured and she's going to be out of action or, or at the time of her injury, was going to be out of action for a significant period of time. But rather than just figure out another person to build and take the title off Jade, they're just waiting for Chris Statlander to come back to be the one to do it. And therefore, 
this Jade Cargill storyline that wasn't, it hadn't run too long at that point, but it was still kind of getting grading and it was tiresome. It's just continuing and it's ongoing. And there's really no one that she's going to fight that we're going to say, oh yeah, it makes sense for that person to beat her for the title. Athena, to me, would have been a great replacement to take the championship off of her. Instead, Athena lost. And where has she been? She's yeah, disappeared. She's disappeared outside yeah. of the segments where Soraya needed the baby faces to wrestle with her. And I think she showed up for that. And then she just disappeared from television. So here we are now. And we're kind of just saying, well, uh, we're looking at Jade retaining because we're waiting for Chris Dallander to come back. Uh, I, I don't think, look, look, the thing with Jade, we'll move on after this. Um, I think she has a lot of potential and she definitely has the look and the star quality. Zero question about that. But she hasn't improved in the ring. It's just, she's not getting better. She's not getting better on the mic. It's one note. So while she's someone I want to be a fan of, but I'm not. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's the same thing. Like you can see, she looks like a star. She can get there. That's why I just talked about like, what they just need to try to figure out another way to develop her because yeah. she's she's felt at the same level. And, and I don't say this about the vast majority of AEW people, but Jade Cargill is the exact type of person who if she had developed in the WWE Performance Center, you would see a different type of wrestler. Like she would be mm -hmm. a star performing at a higher level. And that's not to downgrade the quality of whatever training she is getting, but you need that constant day in, day out attention. And that's what she would have gotten just as an example if she had gone to the Performance Center, if they had even recruited her or scouted her. I don't even know that they did. Um, so I think her potential, her ceiling is still really high. But for me right now, it's just not working anymore. Let's move on to the next match. Uh, Darby Allen and Sting fighting Jay Lethal. And Jeff Jarrett, you haven't watched TV for a couple of weeks. This may be the one thing that was, you're like, what? What's happening here? Uh, so on Dynamite, there was a video, black and white video, so you immediately know it's Darby Allen, of a body bag crowd surfing at a concert. Then it's in the middle of a road. Sting pulls up in a convertible, takes it out of the road, throws it in the backseat. Darby Allen unzips himself. This is, by the way, in the desert. Uh, Darby Allen unzips himself from it, lets himself out, jumps into the front seat next to Sting, and Sting like accepts the match that was already booked for All Out or for uh, Full Gear. Jarrett then on Dynamite is backstage. He's yelling at Sting, and the cameraman gets in his way again, so he yells at the cameraman. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you if you listened to the Thursday episodes or you heard my rant about Jeff Jarrett and AEW. I'm not going to go over it again. But I have negative interest in this match. The build has been lazy as hell. The Darby Allen Sting pairing, I'm done with it. Like, let Darby, like, do something and be his own guy. Um, why they're running this back, why we need Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett fighting these two after they already fought Andrade and Ric Flair in that atrocious retirement match a couple months ago. I don't get what's happening. In terms of a prediction, Darby Allen and Sting, I mean, the only way this gets worse is if Jeff Jarrett's side wins the match. I can't imagine that's going to happen. So I go, I'm going with the baby faces. I'm also picking the baby faces. I admittedly popped when I saw Jeff Jarrett uh, show up in AEW. You know, like he was in WWE oh. for a little bit. We we got him at SummerSlam, and then they let him go pretty quickly. I, I you know after the Vince stuff went down, I think, and Triple H took over. Um, but I don't know if I'm really interested in seeing this match. Like you can do things with Jeff Jarrett. He's still great on the mic, great to have around, but. In a match with Sting is eh, okay. I'm, you know, the, the Darby Allen stuff, the Sting stuff. I'm just personally just so over it. It's been going on for so 
long. Has like, it legitimately this, been like two years? It, I, I, it was, it was the winter is coming. It's coming up on two years because it, it was, was winter. It was the winter is coming during the pandemic, right? When Sting showed up, yes, during the pandemic, because yeah. I was at winter coming last year, so it was the year before that. So yeah, I'm just. I thought this was supposed to be Sting elevating Darby Allen to another level. It just hasn't happened for whatever <laughs> reason. They're still together. It, it's like a father and son. It's like, like it's it, like Ray and Dominic Mysterio. It's like yeah, like, what, what happened with Dom? Dom right. wasn't it, able to develop next to Ray. Exactly. It, it, it's it's fun to see Sting jump off of something and be crazy. Yes. Like, it, it like it's still fine to see that from time to time, but like I kind of for both of their sake want them to go their separate ways and let Sting do Sting things because Darby Allen's just maybe I don't know Darby Allen's just in a body bag every other week doing whatever. Yeah, um, I, I, look, we don't want to come in here and just shit on every match. I don't want. At, to. I really don't. That's not <laughs> as the this point. is going on. I know, but I, I, know. I, I but so I don't want to come across as incredibly negative on this. There are a lot of matches later on in this card that we are very excited well, about. There's this a reason the these order. are the ones we're talking about first, right? These yes. are the low card yes. matches that we don't like as much. So we're kind of getting them out of the way. There's plenty of yes. positive stuff to talk about. I mean, the next match we're talking about some yes. big meaty men slapping meat. Yeah. And Silver King's getting excited about that. May not love the storyline, but I'm excited about the match. Yeah, but like, but these two matches in particular, particularly though, Darby Allen, Sting, Jay Lethal, and Jeff Jarrett, you cannot tell me that this should be on this card, that it, it's been booked well, that Jeff Jarrett is needed in AEW. You cannot be a wrestling fan. Smart Mark, not Smart Mark. Doesn't matter. Casual. I don't care if you're 80 or you're 30 or, or you're 15. You can't tell me you want to see this match. I'd be fine with seeing it on a dynamite. On right. a dynamite, like, but yeah. yes. As right. a fun as a fun thing, I just on an eleven match card or more, we don't need it here. Okay. Let's move on. Uh we have the TNT championship newly announced on Wednesday, Wardlow defending against Samoa Joe, the Ring of Honor television champion. We'll get back to that, and Powerhouse Hobbs. So on Dynamite, Joe actually may have been the first person ever to really be interviewed by Tony Schiavone in the ring. Uh, <laughs> he made some comment about Paul referring to Levesque. It didn't really make sense, but it was some WWE reference. Uh, he said Wardlow's mistake was not recognizing that he was the most dangerous guy in the room. He being Samoa Joe, not Wardlow. And Joe said he refused to become a victim. Powerhouse Hobbs charged down to fight, but Wardlow's music hit. He attacked Joe. All three guys brawled until wrestlers and security separated them. Uh, the other two got removed. Wardlow beat up a bunch of security guides. Uh, Dark Order decided not to mess with him to try to stop him. So Wardlow ran out of the ring, did a tope con hero into a pile of 20 people uh, outside. Now, Joe's promo was great because Samoa Joe is great on promos. Mm -hmm. But the story doesn't really make that much sense. Like, I know Wardlow offhandedly said a couple of weeks ago he wants every title in AEW, but he's obviously not going to go after every title in AEW, particularly when this guy had a chance to be in the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament, and it's just like, nah, it's okay, I'm TNT champion. So, you know, he, he hasn't gone after the ROH title or Joe's ROH TV title or anything. I get that Joe was kind of like cutting him off before he could potentially do that, but Wardlow's a baby face. He's not a heel. So, you know, for Joe to be bothered by that as a veteran, it, it just really didn't make a lot of sense to me. But when we get to the match booking, we're talking about Big meaty men slapping meat. Wardlow, oh, yeah. Hobbs, and Joe, they fit that description as well as anyone. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, there's going to be a lot of meat on meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You're good. You're good. Gen about please, gently, yeah, yeah. gently. Hey, I'm, I'm delicate. Because in this ring, there's going to be a lot of beef out there. 
There's a lot of beef out here. No water, no bread. All we want is meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. But the triple threat aspect of this, Chris, to me, it seems kind of unnecessary since there's not a title unification. If the ROH TV title that Samoa Joe had was also on the line, or they did a two of three falls match where each fall, not two of three falls, a two fall match, I'm sorry, where each fall was for one title or the other, I think that would have been genius and it would have been really, really interesting booking. The only reason to add Joe here is if he's taking the fall so either Hobbs can rip the title off Wardlow without Wardlow being pinned, or for Wardlow to pin Hobbs without pinning Joe, or sorry, Wardlow to pin Joe, let me let me back up, Wardlow to pin Joe uh, without having to beat Hobbs, who just recently lost to Ricky Starks. So I'm going to have to see the booking to determine whether it ultimately makes sense for this to be a triple threat or not. Going into the match, it appears unnecessary, but that doesn't really change the fact that you're going to put three men like this in the ring together. The Silver King's going to get really excited about watching this match. Yeah, look, th- this is just about having the big meaty men slapping meat out there. And I, I-, I want to see some big meat action. I want to see some big lifts, some powerful moves, reinforce the ring post, do all that type of stuff. That's all we need. Reinforce the ring post. The beast's going to be flying tonight, Joe. Appropriate, because it is a Samoa Joe uh, Yes, drop. exactly. Sorry, That's yeah. the Samoa Joe The one drop. I missed. I the only one I missed, yeah. The yeah. only one. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah. This is just, I, I hope we get a good, proper, just big dudes doing hoss shit in this match. That's all we need. I think Wardlow wins. Does it need to be a triple threat? Probably not. I still think it's Wardlow pins Hobbs in the end. Um, but I hope Hobbs gets some spots to to, to look good because he's he's kind of been passed over a few times as like the big strong guy in this company. And I, I hope he can hope he can shine. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I kind of really want Powerhouse Hobbs to win the title for a couple of yeah. reasons. One, so he gets that lift that you're talking about. He also would be a really good person to basically do what Wardlow was doing, except to actually wrestle more frequently. And he, unlike Wardlow, who can't look like he ever takes damage, Hobbs can because he's not built up the same way. Also, if you are going to put the world championship on MJF, I'm not saying Wardlow needs to be his first challenger, but theoretically, it would be nice for him to not have a championship. That way he could eventually challenge MJF for yeah. that title at some point down the line. Thing is, even if MJF does win it, and we're going to talk about that later, obviously, that's the main event of this show and surely is the main event of Full Gear. Um, Wardlow can lose it literally at any time in the next four or eight months or, or sorry, three or six months. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to go with Wardlow retaining. Because it's a triple threat, he has two different people that he can beat depending who AEW prefers to protect. I just think it makes the most sense, and it's probably why they did a triple threat in the first place, to make whoever loses not look as bad as they otherwise would. So that's that's kind of what I'm going with. Uh, let's move to this AEW Eliminator Tournament, which is kind of interesting in its construction. Uh, so on Rampage, Dante Martin fought Brian Cage. This was mostly... Cage overpowering Martin until uh, Martin hit a delayed springboard splash and a frog splash for a near fall. Then he missed a 450, ate a discus lariat and a swinging slam from Cage. He followed, Cage did, with Weapon X. It was a really nice, like, gory bomb style DDT finisher. Really, really cool. And he got the win on that. I was worried they were going to put Martin over Cage, but this was definitely the right booking. And it was a fun match. So good stuff on Rampage. We also had Bandito against Roosh. Bandito was attacked before the bell. He hit a number of topes during the break that we didn't see live. Rouge came back with a falling one-leg dropkick, which definitely looked like a botch. 
Bandito got the crowd going. They no-sold three German suplexes and a crucifix bomb consecutively, which kind of just took me out of the match. Roosh then hit a pile driver where Bandito's head was literally just in his lap the entire time. It never came close to the canvas. Jose threw a chair in the ring. He tried to rip off Bandito's mask. John Silver came down and punched him. And then Bandito beat a distracted Roosh with a roll-up. My reaction to this was literally like, what? Like, Bandito's awesome, but the wrong person won here. I know they needed the babyface for the next match that happened, but the wrong person won. And a comedy finish and a title eliminator match, I'm just never going to buy into that. That's not for me. So we'll go over to Dynamite. Uh, we had Ethan Page against Bandito. Page talked shit before the bell. He had a step-through cutter. Bandito then had an awesome counter of an avalanche ego's edge with a hurricanrana. He followed with a great frog splash for a false finish. Page came back with a flying shoulder and the ego's edge to advance. I thought this was one of a few tremendous wrestling matches on Dynamite. It was a really strong in-ring show. A bit shorter than the others, but Page moving on was always the right booking, Chris. I went 3.75 stars and a B for that match. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's we're, we're getting some more Ethan Page. He's kind of getting a push here. We'll, we'll talk about that kind of in this championship match here. So we have uh, on Dynamite, Ricky Starks cut a promo on Lance Archer ahead of their match on Rampage. This got delayed because Starks wasn't cleared. It's fair to assume that Starks is going to win that match. That's going to result in a semifinal against Cage. But on Dynamite, they didn't tell us when that match would be held. And given the Eliminator final is on full gear, I just thought it was odd that they wouldn't just tell us, okay, that match will now be held here. So my assumption is that we're going to get the semifinal, uh, or sorry, the quarterfinal on Rampage. We will then get the semifinal on the buy-in. And I do believe that's going to be Starks and, and uh, what did I just say? Cage. Brian Cage. Starks and Cage. Thank you. Yep. Um, and then that person will then advance to face Ethan Page in the Eliminator final on the main card. So, Chris. I, I will I will say this may not be accurate, but it says on Wikipedia okay. that uh, that both are scheduled for Rampage, just based on the bracket. Oh, really? Okay. That may not, I don't think there's been an announcement or not, but it may be too, I mean, it's only a one hour show, so like how much can you really Well, you could open and in? close is what you could do. Yeah. Yeah, so it's possible we get two on Friday. I'm not yet sure. All right, that's interesting. I had not seen that announced, and if that did happen before, b- between Dynamite and us taping the show, then my bad for missing that. Either way, the matches still need to happen. They're both going to be basically yes. the same. Uh, so I'm going to have Ricky Starks, obviously, beating Lance Archer, who only shows up on TV when they need him for a tournament or a battle royal. Starks winning that. Starks beating Cage. And whether he does that match during the buy-in or Rampage, he'll basically be fighting his third match in two days when he yeah. eventually does fight Ethan Page for the Eliminator final at full gear. And as such, I'm going to have Ethan Page winning, um, both because he's a heel and be- and because of what may or may not happen in the main event. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But both because he's a heel and it just makes a lot of sense for Page to be coming out of this Eliminator the way he's been booked, whereas Ricky Starks, yeah, he came out of the Hobbs feud and he was really hot. Guy's barely been on TV since. So... I'm going to have Paige winning the entire thing, but I do have Ricky Starks getting to the final. Yeah, it's it makes sense for Ricky Starks to make the run. It, it really does not speak well of Archer that he's supposed to be the big murder hawk guy and he, we're not even considering him. You know, <laughs> not, this, I'm not even thinking this about it. Yeah. We just, not even he, a chance. He, he, don't take him seriously at all. Yeah, it makes sense for Ricky Starks to get here. You've got Ethan Page in the final. He's a heel. 
Page versus Starks makes sense. And depending on who you think is going to win the world title, kind of impacts who, who you want there. So I also have Page and Starks. And you said, did you say you have Page winning? I have Page winning the entire thing. I, I had this like formula worked out where I said, okay, if Mox wins, then Page is going to win. And if MJF wins, then Ricky Starks is going to win. Right. But I'm just going to go away from that because by forcing those two options, um, I feel like I'm going to be bound to be wrong one way or the other. So that's that's the way I'm doing it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, MJF's, we'll talk about it later, he's not a, exactly a heel or a face anyway, so well, it could almost yeah. go either way. But I think it's Ethan Page here. I, you know, Ricky Starks has the built-in excuse of so many matches, you know, in, in, in three matches in two days he can lose. This feels like Ethan Page getting a little push here to get a title shot at uh, Winter is Coming. He's been around for a while, hasn't really stuck out yet. This is his little push to see kind of how it goes, which I think works. So I, I'm also picking Paige to win here. All righty. Let's move to Jungle Boy against Luchasaurus inside a steel cage. On Rampage, Christian Cage jawed at Jungle Boy with Luchasaurus by his side, angry that he cost Luchasaurus the title match. So he accused them of costing him everything, including three years of his life teaming with Luchasaurus. And then he said he'd stack the odds against himself and limit Christian's involvement with a steel cage challenge. Christian said Jack Perry's not actually good or an AEW pillar, so they basically accepted the match. Then he goaded Jack into throwing hands by insulting his mom and dad again. Luchasaurus ended it with a choke slam into an upright steel chair. You know, this was awful. Uh, any juice this feud once had evaporated long ago. To just randomly bring it back because a pay-per-view is conveniently coming up to me as an eye roll. And beyond that, Jungle Boy's promo just lacked any substance to make me actually care about the match after all of this time. And to think that this is hardly that over with fans, given he's eventually going to fight Christian, it's like, how long are we going to have to wait for that when Christian is still in a sling? Jungle Boy is the prediction here because losing again would just destroy him from a credibility standpoint. The match is probably going to be really entertaining. Luchasaurus is great. I mean, yes. the guy's going to do a moonsault from somewhere, maybe the top of the cage, maybe from just the top rope inside the cage. It's going to be a great, fun wrestling match. But do I actually care about it? No, my interest level is basically nil. I do find it interesting that they're promoting it by calling him Jack Perry instead of Jungle Boy. Remember when people got so upset that JR used to call him Jack? <laughs> and JR is like, well, this guy is going to need a gimmick and like a name outside of Jungle Boy as he grows up. Meanwhile, guess what? Now, two years later, JR was right, and they're calling him Jack Perry. So I did think that, you know, it's interesting that they're doing that aspect of it. This could have main evented a dynamite and been an incredible main event. Instead, it's on the pay-per-view. It doesn't need to be there. I have Jungle Boy winning. Agreed. Man, I went to I went to Blood and Guts in Detroit in the summer. And that's when Luchasaurus returned to be next to Christian. And this is still going on. This is an example of something that has dragged on forever. And with Christian in a sling, I guess we're going to wait until he can wrestle. I, I don't know. I, I think it, it, it's taken forever and it's kind of pulled away from this. It, it, the Christian thing is, has been annoying because it's not like we get the big Luchasaurus, Jack Perry breakup feud. It's like it's like Christian hanging over all of this. It's just it hasn't clicked for me. I agree. This is something you made event like a dynamite with or something like that. I'm picking Jungle Boy Jack Perry as well, but I do think this match has a chance to be a real banger. Luchasaurus 
uh, is awesome, and I'm looking forward to at least watching this match. A little bit of a correction here. Uh, Tony Khan is doing his media call while we're doing the show. He said the winner of Starks Archer in the Eliminator quarterfinal will face Brian Cage on zero hour of okay. AEW full gear. And the winner of that will fight Ethan Page on Dynamite. So they're pushing that match oh. off the card to Dynamite. So I'm going to retract my pred- my prediction here um, because I want to see who wins the world title match before I go ahead and predict who's going to win the Eliminator. So we will give I'm you... I'm not. Well, I'm just going to say I want to see what happens. Um, sure. But we will... Because now he has time. So now Ricky Starks, you know, it, depending yeah, no. what... Depending what the booking is, now Ricky Starks has three or four days to recover. So now I don't have to worry about the prediction coming from him being tired and having an excuse. So I am retracting my pick. Um, we will pick that on the instant analysis of AEW Full Gear, which we will publish as soon as that show goes off the air Saturday night. But I did want to provide that update since we're right in the middle of doing it. And we literally just talked about it. So it was timed well. Uh, let's move to the Ring of Honor Championship match. Chris Jericho against... Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, and Sammy Guevara on Rampage. Jake Hager tried to like make amends with Claudio because they were once a great tag team together, saying he's a better sports entertainer than a wrestler and should try doing that again. I thought that was going to lead to something, but it just didn't. So maybe they're going to have a go-home match on Rampage or they'll start a feud maybe coming out of uh, full gear. But it was just kind of weird that they said that and then nothing else happened. On Dynamite, we had BCC against JAS in a tag team match. Sammy worked Brian's eye early. Jericho jabbed him in the eye with his bat at one point. Claudio got the hot tag and destroyed Jericho with like a dozen European uppercuts. Jericho put him in the walls of Jericho. Sammy took out Brian with a crazy like tope corkscrew moonsault of some kind. It was a great move by Sammy. Guevara later raked the eye, but Brian countered a GTH into the bell lock. Sammy then bit his eye and hit an avalanche cutter. Jericho added a lion salt for a broken fall. Claudio did a pop-up European uppercut. Then he caught Jericho trying to use the bat and put him in the swing. It was a great visual. Jericho swinging while holding the bat extended in one arm. It was really, really cool. Uh, Claudio then stole the bat while putting Jericho in the sharpshooter, and he got the submission victory. This was a tremendous tag team match. I actually think, Chris, it's the best AEW tag team match we got since All Out. The initial Swerve in Our Glory acclaimed match. I went 4.25 stars and an A. It was also a really good build to the Fatal 4-Way. I still think the booking of this match, Jericho, Danielson, Claudio, and Sammy, is ridiculous, especially the way Jericho explained it last week. But you want to talk about like getting me excited for the match? Seeing these four guys wrestle like this got me excited for the match. Yes. I'm I'm like I'm like torn here because on pay uh, like if you just look at this match. It's going to be a banger. The, the, this is going to be a really fun match, maybe match of the night. This is all four of these guys are going to be awesome. And that tag match that we got in Dynamite really helped it. I'm, but the part of me that doesn't like it is I don't care about any of the Ring of Honor stuff. And thankfully, this is the only Ring of Honor match on this show. Mm-hmm. But like Chris Jericho being the Ring of Honor champion is just like not something I really care about. But you know, it, it's Ring of Honor. Are they going to get that TV show or not? Seems like maybe soon. I don't know, but it's just Ring of Honor to me has been really dragging down AEW for the past whatever mm-hmm. bit of time. I think the fact that this is all AEW guys doing this instead of like a bunch of Ring of Honor guys, I don't know, helps. And I do think this is going to be a great match. Chris, why don't you go ahead with a prediction here? I think Jericho holds it as much as. 
I don't really care for the Jericho Ring of Honor champion storyline. If you're going to do it, you got to really like drag it out for a while. And so I picked Jericho. Yeah, I think the whole idea with Jericho being champion is and I'm not sure who it's going to be, but an individual needs to beat him for the title. He needs to put that person over, whether that's potentially Wheeler Yuta. If they somehow go back to the Daniel Garcia storyline and he actually does turn, like I have no idea exactly what they're doing, but the end result needs to be Jericho putting over an individual. And you don't need Chris Jericho to put over Brian Danielson or Claudio Castagnoli. And Sammy Guevara winning the title doesn't really make any sense, even though we saw in the storyline where Jericho's like, Sammy's going to be there to have my back. And Sammy's like, yeah, I can guarantee the title will be with the JAS at the end of the night. Right. I, I'm actually I'm actually dreading the idea of Sammy having a title again after that <laughs> TNT thing last time. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just don't really see the title changing here. It, it really wouldn't make sense. I mean, my goal in this match is that Brian Danielson does not take a pinfall. As long as that doesn't happen, then I, I'm pretty happy here. Uh, but I, I think, think Cla- I think Cla- Claudio takes the pinfall. You know, we love him, but that's often what he's there for. I wouldn't be surprised if Jericho pins Sammy. Mm, that's a good point. Like Claudio and Brian hit him with finishers. He pushes them out of the ring. He pins Sammy. And then Sammy gets angry at him. But again, you just did that storyline with Daniel Garcia. So it's like, oh my God, is it repetitive? Let, let, there's two things I want. Number one, I don't want Brian Danielson to take the fall. Number two, I want JAS and BCC to never fight each other again. I don't know that that's going to actually happen, but I want this to be the end of it. And I hope it can be. We'll find out. Uh, the tag team championship is on the line. The acclaimed defending against Swerve in our glory, the rubber match between these teams. On Dynamite, acclaimed world premiered a music video featuring Captain Insano, Big Show, uh, <laughs> being interviewed and laughing at a caller in a direct parody of Waterboy. It was basically a Swerve diss, the song, and it was easily the best of any of these music videos that they have done to this point. There yes. were a couple of good lines about Swerve hanging out with fake celebrities and being on the D-list. There was some body shaming of Keith Lee. I really didn't like that. It feels lowbrow. It feels unnecessary to do that about Keith. I mean, want to make fun of his diction or something like that? Then okay, go go for that. But yeah, he's a big dude. Meanwhile, he's a better wrestler than both those guys. And he's more over. Uh, I was going to say more over than both those guys. As a singles wrestler, he's more over than both those guys. So find better stuff to make fun of Keith Lee about than his Agreed. weight. And he did tweet about it too. You could see he wasn't overly thrilled that they actually did it. Like in reality, not just kayfabe. And then we that's also not a got face a, thing to do. It's not like you're supposed to be the faces. That's right. You, yeah. You, like you making make, fun, make, everything they said about Swerve was, was yeah. totally fine. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to no, yeah, pop we cut each other off on, on, on that point. That's fine. Uh, on dynamite. We also had Anthony bones against Swerve Strickland. Billy Gunn attacked Swerve on the ramp and got ejected for a second time. This started hot. Bowen's mouth got busted open somehow. He later sold an injured right shoulder. Bowens kicked out of both Swerve's head kick and the Swerve stomp. The finish finally came with the JML driver. Decent match, easily right person won. It could not have gone any other way. Swerve, I mean, I've been saying it since NXT, and I said it when they got called up to SmackDown, and I said it again when WWE released him, which was one of their two or three dumbest decisions out of all of those cuts. It was like Swerve, Bray Wyatt, Keith Lee, and like one or two other people that I just could, uh, Alistair Black, I could not wrap my head around those people getting released. Swerve is one of AEW's best pickups from WWE. And no matter what they do with him, they are doing a great job featuring him. Uh, I'll let you get in here before we go ahead and predict the match, but I just wanted to say that. 
funny thing happened Wednesday night. Um, I'm writing a story and it ran on it ran on Thursday. It's about the 2007 Louisiana Monroe beat Alabama game. And I'm talking to a guy who played on that ULM team, Darius Battles from Mobile. Mm -hmm. And he's telling me that he's got relatives who played in, in, in the NFL. He's got a he's got an uncle who played in the NFL for a couple of years, Ansley Battles. And he's got a great uncle who played with Joe Namath by the name of Rich Castor. And I pull up Rich Castor on Wikipedia. I'm like, wait a minute. This is Max Castor's dad. <laughs> I'm watch and I text Darius. I'm That's like, funny. wait a minute. I'm like, wait a minute. Are, are, are you Mac? Are you cousins with Max Castor? He's like, yeah. I'm like, That's so funny. I'm literally writing about you while I'm watching him on my TV at this very moment. So small world there. But uh, yeah, Rich Castor, Max's dad, uh, Pro Bowl receiver, by the way, for people who didn't know. Yeah. And so was. I just I just thought that was funny, funny timing on all of this. This uh, aside from the, the, the body shaming of Keith Lee, I did like the music video. Last time I had checked in on AW was a couple weeks ago when they did the scissor day or something like that. And that was an yeah. absolute train wreck of a it was really. Bad. I was very worried <laughs> that they were going to run this awesome tag team into the ground. They bounced back. That was a lot better on, on, on Wednesday night. Um, so I, I think they're back in the right direction. And I'm not actually super excited for this match. Like, this is not going to be the third time they fought. I kind of wanted both of these folks to go in different ways. We've been waiting for, again, like a year for Keithley and Swerve to break up. <laughs> Still hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, you didn't make a pick yet. Um, do you want me to make my pick now? You can now? say what you can go, whatever you want, yeah. I'm going to say the acclaimed retain. And I think maybe we finally get a Keith Lee swerve breakup. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, well, before I get to that, let me give you a fun fact since we gave one about Max Caster, about Anthony Bones. Anthony Bones was a baseball player, a collegiate baseball player as well. And you would never guess who discovered him uh, and and thought that he would be a good professional wrestler. Santino oh, Morella. Ah, isn't that random? Uh, so yeah, Bowens uh, and Caster both come from that athletic background, football and baseball. Um, I was going to say respectively, but I transposed their names there. You get the point. Uh, but nevertheless, look, um, the acclaimed is the most over thing in AEW right now. I mean, maybe MJF alongside them, but in terms of pure babyface fan response, the acclaimed is number one. Um, you proved me wrong, or you proved to be correct, I should say, in that I didn't really think they needed the championships. I still don't think they needed them, but I didn't think they'd necessarily be successful champions. Uh, they are. They definitely are. It's smart. It was smart to strap them up. You know, it really should have happened at all out. I don't think Tony Khan could have guessed the fan response that they were going right. to get on that show. So he made it up and he changed the titles at Grand Slam. The match was nowhere near as good. The response was nowhere near as big as it would have been had it happened at all out. I think this is a really good opportunity in front of a pay-per-view audience to kind of just fully establish the acclaimed as the tag team champions finally end this feud. And yes, I think something can happen in the match where it's the final straw for Keith Lee and Swerve, and we see them either break apart during the match or Wednesday on Dynamite. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you see Keith really angry at him. He walks out of the ring, and then they officially break up Wednesday where... Swerve attacks Keith and something like that happens. So that is a feud I, I, I would, want, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I agree. I would love the attack to happen now. Like I'm, we're, we're like waiting for it and waiting for it. It's going to pop off. 
I don't know if you need to wait till Dynamite or just start it out. But when they that first time that they start brawling and they turn on each other, like that's going to get huge reaction. It's going to be hot. And and the way Swerve bumps and Keith Lee's size, like them working together is going to be incredible. So I'm I'm really excited for that more than I'm excited for this match. But let's not forget, their first match at All Out was extraordinary. It was an incredible match. Yeah. They didn't come anywhere close to matching it at Grand Slam. But the first one was great. If they can get me somewhere between both of those, then this is going to be a really, really entertaining match. And again, yes, the Acclaim should retain the titles here. And so far, uh, you mentioned all the title matches. We are all retentions, right? So let's see if maybe that change is coming up. Let's say starting right now. Uh, we have a trios championship match, Death Triangle against the Elite. You may say, Silver King, how is this match happening? Well, I'm <laughs> go ahead and explain it to you. So on Rampage, Pac told Death Triangle backstage they need to be smarter and more opportunistic because they're on top of the mountain with a huge target on their backs as trios champions. The Lucha Brothers shook their heads, but they seemed to understand him. It was I liked what they did on Rampage. And then we got Dynamite. So we had a trios title match, Death Triangle against Top Flight and AR Fox. Uh, commentary told the story about Darius Martin almost dying in a car wreck. Obviously thrilled that he's okay and that he's back in action. But what a missed opportunity to actually do like a video package over a couple yeah. of weeks telling this guy's story, getting people excited for him to return, reunite with his brother and be a tag team again. Instead, they threw out this potentially tragic story as an aside on a throwaway title match on a random dynamite. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I had the same thought. Like, like it, it was like during the entrance, I think is when he said it. I was like, whoa, like I'd heard. I remember hearing that, but like, show me that. It doesn't even have to be weeks of it. Just like, give me like, one package. last week or yeah. what, just one video package be like, hey, I'm I went through this and now I'm coming back and I'm coming for those titles. And like Boom. his brother puts I'm his in. arm around him. We're, we're coming after the titles. We're making an yeah. impact on uh, on Dynamite starting next Wednesday. Anything like that. Right. It's one of two things here where the storytelling really lacked. Anyway, uh, for the match, Pac got thrown into a cutter from Fox. The challengers got taken out with stereo thrust kicks and a Casadora slam combined with a standing moonsault. There was a great tope spot, double tope spot followed by a springboard reverse cannonball, which was awesome. Fox then took Ray Phoenix off the ropes with a seated springboard Spanish fly. And you've probably seen that move recently from Austin Theory in WWE. That's because AR Fox trained him. So that's where he got it from. Uh, plus, he also hit a 450 for a broken fall. Fox then ate Fear Factor and the Black Arrow for the title retention from Death Triangle. Let me start with the negative. Because you may say to yourself, why were a guy who hasn't wrestled in seven months and really has barely wrestled in 20 months because he was out 13 months prior to that with a knee injury, plus someone in AR Fox not signed to the company who is rarely on TV. Why were these guys given a championship match? That would be a great question if you were to ask that. Uh, the booking didn't make any sense. However, the wrestling was exceptional. I said there were three matches on this show that were absolute bangers. This was another one of them. Um, this was great, really awesome action, four stars and an A-. minus. Do you have anything else to say about the match? I thought this match was awesome, and I I don't remember exactly who did it, but who did the the spring moonsault off the side ring post outside? Mm -hmm. That was ridiculous. That was crazy. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's really cool. AR Fox also got a contract offer from AEW. We should note, um, and the guy's thirty five years old. He's been wrestling independent for, I mean, I don't know how fifteen years, something like that. He he's probably one of the top unsigned independent wrestlers when it comes to like just pure talent, and he's trained 
a lot of people who you know, young wrestlers right now, especially people that came out of Evolve like Austin Theory. Um, so shout out to him. I don't know if he signed it, but he did get offered. I assume he will sign it. Good for him. Good for AEW. That's a great fit. You know, we talk about their roster being too bloated and so on and so forth. And it's true. But when a really good person or, or at least a person who's a really good wrestler who's paid his dues, I don't know about him as a person, um, when they get an opportunity like this and there's someone that can actually add something to the company that they don't really have already, which is a guy like that who's a veteran presence. The only other one I can think of is Matt Seidel and like he's disappeared from TV completely. So I just I'm happy for AR Fox that he got that opportunity. That's all I'm trying to say. Anyway, yeah, let's, let's move on. Uh, after the bell, Pack grabbed the mic and vaguely asked if people thought they, Death Triangle, weren't aware of the videos. He said, if certain individuals think they can make a triumphant return against them, that's ridiculous. Pack then said, if they want the heat, Death Triangle runs from nobody. And then a match graphic appeared on the big screen with half of it empty. So it was the trio's championship with Death Triangle, obviously, as the champions. And then a moment later, the elite were just added to the graphic. And literally, that was it. That is how they announced the elite returning. That's how they announced a match for full gear. I was trying to rack my brain and think of a less exciting way to do this. Like, how could they have actually announced this match and got me less pumped up for it? And I legitimately could not think of a worse way. Why would you not do a surprise return with a huge pop on the Go Home Show or any of the few weeks leading into it? Why would you not build the storyline, even if it was Death Triangle carrying it on their backs over a number of weeks? Why did it take them weeks to remark about the videos in the first place? Tony Khan has made a ton of exceptionally poor booking decisions, but I was flabbergasted by this. Like, seriously, why the fuck would you not have them come out, get a nuclear pop, and then stare down Death Triangle at the minimum? It's like they wanted to do some combination, I've said this before, of, you know, White Rabbit, Bray Wyatt, and Cody Rhodes showing up at WrestleMania, yet they botched both efforts. I just could not believe what I saw here. And I'm actually at a loss for words to further describe it because it was that dumb from a creative standpoint. This is supposed to be a major return coming out of a hugely controversial situation outside the ring. And we got light elite chance in front of a couple thousand people because all they got was a match graphic. The creative for this was as flat as it possibly could have been. Zero point zero. Uh, do you have a different take than me or do you agree? Where do you stand on this? So the, the end of this last video with the gear, it was like a clock. It was ticking like a clock. It hits and then the elite pop up. And my first thought was that should have been the whole thing. They should have done like several weeks of a ticking clock whenever, whenever it, it could be when the death triangle is around or it could be otherwise and basically do Chris Jericho, Millennium Man, Y2J, just do that kind of ticking clock. And then, except for when it hit zero, like it would have on that dynamite, instead of just showing up on a graphic, they show up in the building. Like, like that, that, that's, that would have been a great way to, to do it as well. And this is, again, just one of my biggest issues with AEW is that they, they blow these big moments. I didn't like Kenny Omega's return a couple months ago with the long, drawn out, you know, 
introduction from Justin Roberts. They just, they miss these moments a few times. And you're going to do like the elite are coming back and we're going to do it via match graphic, you know, appearance. Like, man, come on, man. Like that, that's a big moment. You got to make that a big moment to not do that. Really just much of a letdown. That said, I'm really excited they're back. I'm really excited for this match. I think it's, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, but just like, oh, like, how do you how like this is this is kind of your go home show, basically. How is, is this? The go home show. How, how is this not like just how's that the way you do it? I don't know. I would feels like it could have been so easy to just make that better. Like the only explanation I can come up with is that they just want a nuclear massive explosive pop for these guys. And the last three weeks of TV, you know, let's just be candid, right? AEW is not selling tickets the way they used to. Okay, so uh, last week or, or this Wednesday was in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, I was told eight sections of the lower level uh, on the hard cam side were blanked out, very much like what Raw was like, you know, four years ago, right, where they really struggled to sell tickets. And I think they had like 2,000 or 2,500 people there, and you heard it on TV. Even when they popped, it was only so loud, right? But, you know, you have to understand that when you're going to return a group like the elite, given the controversy and all of this stuff that's been going on, you got to make it a big moment. So what I would say is you do the exact same thing with Death Triangle and you, and you keep it vague like Pac was saying. We see your videos. We see this. We're not scared of you. We will be in the ring at full gear if you have the guts to come and face us. And then you do the Cody Rhodes where the lights turn out, you play the elite music and the elite show up and they fight them for the titles. And it's a million times better than just putting their faces on a match graphic. Right? Am yeah. I wrong about that or no? No, I totally agree. And, and to the point about the tickets, I, I mean, you don't have the elite, you know, at your shows. You don't have CM Punk at your shows. Like, they've just, they, they've lacked some of that old well, star power. They're also running the same markets. They're running four, the same five, six they're, times. They're, they're, they're coming back here to, to Dallas in December for winter is coming again. They've come here like four times. I've gone to all but one of them. It's it's a lot. They they are doing a lot of the same places. Yeah, I mean, they they the, the small arena they ran in Miami, I didn't go to it when they came because it was still kind of the pandemic and I didn't want to be around a lot of people. But like they don't run, you know, the the arena that they really should for a pay-per-view down here in South Florida. They haven't come back since the pandemic initially ended when they did those two Miami shows in a very short period of time. So like I've never been to an AEW show. And I've watched their product. Yeah. I've, I have not missed a single TV show or pay-per-view that AEW has put on. And I've never been to one of their shows. I can't say that about anything else. Like musicians, I've gone to concerts for people that I love. The WWE, clearly, uh, fa- all of my favorite teams, I've been to games of theirs before and for sports. This is the only company that I can't get to an event because they just don't tour. They don't, they don't rotate their sites enough. It just it doesn't really make any sense. It's very that, frustrating. That, yeah. That Blood and Guts was their first show in Detroit. They basically sold out a true NBA arena. So, like, when they've hit these new markets, they've gone big. It's, yeah, they've just, it's still not a lot. Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. Anyway, to get to the actual match prediction here out of all of this, you don't do this whole thing for the elite to lose to Death Triangle. It's just, no. it's just not, not going to happen. And this is another example of what I talked about, um, where like Tony kind of gets into that booking thing where like he wanted the elite to have the titles. And so he's going to put the titles immediately back on the elite. He's not going to make them wait. So that's just that's how it's going to go. So the elite are going to win the championships here. But not only is that my prediction, I'm going to give you a bonus prediction. The elite win the championships. 
They're celebrating in the ring. It's a really nice moment. The lights go out. House of Black returns to confront them. Immediately starts a feud. I, I, I thought you were going to say, I got a better idea, but you, you finish your, sorry. Well, the only thing I was going to possibly lays them out. That's the last thing I was going to say. So go ahead. I was going to say, lights go out and, uh, and out comes CM, CM Punk. Punk. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Um, yeah, Elite's going to win. I think it should be a fun match. Ray Phoenix is incredible. And that's him and Nick Jackson. It'll be fun. Watching oh, the talent in this it. match is extraordinary. Yeah. It's going to be it's it's going to be fun. So yeah, looking forward to it. This may well be match of the night, actually, now that I think about could it. could be. Yeah. Uh, interim Women's Championship, Tony Storm defending against Jamie Hayter on Dynamite. Storm fought Anna Jay in an eliminator match. Why they're doing that right before a championship, I have no idea. Uh, Jay got a ton of offense on Storm, but the champion came back with a hip attack and Texas Cloverleaf for the immediate submission. Hater then charged down after the bell, claiming she just wanted to talk. They did a face-off for 15 seconds, and that was it. You know, I got to say, like, I'm very excited for this match. I think Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter are two of the three or four best women's wrestlers in all of AEW. So this is going to be a banger, and I also think this has a chance to be the match of the night as well. But the build for this has been horrendous. It's basically been one or the other wrestling someone on TV, the other maybe looking at them from the stage, and that's it. Storm got to say a couple of words a few weeks ago. The one time that there was a segment where it was about Hater challenging for the title, Baker spoke for her. So we didn't even get to hear Jamie speak. And that was it. This should have been an absolute fire build, but they completely prioritized Soraya and Britt Baker ahead of it. Except this is for the title and that one's not. I don't necessarily mind the fact that they prioritize Soraya and Baker, but this one should have been built and gotten the type of screen time from a promo standpoint as much as Soraya and Britt Baker got. So that's a major frustration for me. I saw someone praising AEW has three women's matches on this card. Sure they do, but Jade Cargill, Nyla Rose is a TV feud at best. This is a great match. The feud has been terrible. Soraya, Britt Baker, the feud has been very good I'm going to maybe say up until Wednesday, I'll explain why in a minute, um, but I don't even know that it's going to be that great of a match. We'll find out. In terms of this, since it's an interim championship still, Storm is going to retain the title. I think it's really good for Hater to get this moment. There's not really a need for her to get strapped up with an interim title when Thunder Rosa theoretically needs to come back and fight Storm. Who the hell knows what's even happening with that situation? Hater should definitely take the title once it's no longer an interim belt. So because of that, I have Tony Storm retaining. Well, that's my first issue. It's been September 4th is when Tony Storm won the belt. Um, the, the the interim belt at All Out. So like, it's, how how long is this going to be an interim? Like, like right. this, this Make is getting, a lineal champion at this point. It's, it's this, is the, this is the issue with going the interim championship route. And look, at All Out, kind of, you know, just like the acclaimed, in the moment that felt like it, needed to be Jamie Hayter's moment. The crowd was just behind her more. Although the crowd likes Tony Storm and Tony Storm deserved it and was overdue to get the championship as well. The fans were most behind Jamie Hayter at that time. Are they going to be in this one? I don't know. Maybe the crowd's really behind her. And and, and maybe, like, if she loses this here, though, I just worry either she's going to miss that moment or maybe they already did. And it feels like the it feels like the the moment for Jamie Hader is she takes the title off of Britt Baker at some point, 
that's the ultimate play. But that would be the best case scenario. Yes. Yeah. But we're not really anywhere close to that right now. So I I do think Tony Storm retains. um, But I I hope they have a plan to reheat Jamie Hayter because crowd was really behind her. And I think you can do something with her. So let's move to the other major women's match on this card. And, you know, look, credit to AEW. We criticize the women's booking, but we are talking about two women's matches among the three final ones that we're talking about on this Full Gear Ultimate preview. So you do have to give credit for two matches mattering, even if the build maybe hasn't been fantastic. Uh, Soraya against Britt Baker on Dynamite. Britt was offended. Soraya keeps saying she doesn't have what it takes to be a star given what she's accomplished over the last three years in AEW. She tried to garner sympathy about wrestling during the pandemic. Britt also said that she respects what Soraya has accomplished, but the business owes her nothing and it's moved on without her. She called herself the pulse of AEW, basically painting Soraya as an outsider. Soraya later said she's sick of all the back and forth with Baker, and she took the opportunity to go to AEW because she wants to compete against the best. It was probably the best promo that we've gotten from Britt Baker in a long time, mostly because she was finally able to promote a match without shitting on her opponent and the entire division. So kudos to her. Soraya's was a bunch of nothing. But the one thing that was weird about Britt's promo is that it was a babyface promo. And she's the heel in this match. So after all of this build, having Britt Baker as the bad guy and Soraya as the good guy, bad girl, good girl, sorry, or bad woman, good woman, whichever term you prefer. um, I'm not saying it's switched but it suddenly got murky and painting this as AEW versus WWE. I mean, I'm not saying that they did that in a storyline standpoint. I'm just saying in her promo, she kind of like noted that that was the case. I just found that to be a little odd given the rest of what their storyline has been. I'm not saying it was bad. It wasn't. Uh, Regarding the match, look, when CM Punk returned, right? I thought there was a really good chance that Darby Allen would win. And the booking was CM Punk has not wrestled in a really, really long time. Darby Allen's fresh. He's young. He, you know, he has all the energy and, and stamina. So he should beat CM Punk. And it, I picked Darby to win. I, I, you did pick Darby. I don't remember whether I did or not. <laughs> you did not. You did not. You okay. Right. So I was ultimately right, even though I think the logic was there. And I think the logic is here as well. Britt Baker has been wrestling. Like she just said, for three years, just in AEW, not counting all of her independent wrestling. Soraya has not wrestled in however many years since she hurt her neck the second time. So really, Britt Baker should win this match. But given we have a direct data point in CM Punk and Darby Allen, and we know the way Tony Khan books matches like these, I'm going to go ahead and say that Soraya will win. That's my prediction. I am also picking Soraya, not because I learned my lesson from CM Punk Darby Allen, but because Darby Allen was a young and up and coming guy. And you got the sense that Punk wanted to put the young guys over. That's not happening here. Soraya is not coming in saying, I want to put the young people over. Soraya is only 30. <laughs> like she, right. she, she, People forget just how young she is. She's actually younger than Britt Baker. Britt Baker is 31. So that is not happening here. This is the triumphant return to wrestling after being so far gone. Fans will be behind her. I'm excited to see her. I hope she, first of all, I hope she's well. Right. Just like with Edge, just like with Dan O'Brien, whenever these things happen, he's very, very, very concerned about things. Uh, hope everything is good and, and goes well. I think I think Soraya wins. I think she'll get a big, big cheer for her entrance in the start of this match. I think she wins. Good crowd reaction. And yeah, you're right about the story kind of getting weird at the end. It, it doesn't need to be WWE versus AW, though I understand Britt Baker saying that. 
it should be, but it should just basically be like, I, I still run this, you know, company. You haven't wrestled in the next years. You're nothing. Soraya gets the win. Yeah, I wanted that promo to be more heelish from her. Like, again, I, I appreciated that she didn't just shit on Soraya. She didn't just shit on the women's division. I beat all these women. They all suck and I'm the best. Like, it was good. The promo was really, really strong. It, it was just so much more of a babyface promo than a heel promo that it really surprised me f- for that to be the go-home moment. And I think it was taped, so they could have adjusted it if they needed to. I don't think it was live. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it was entirely strange from top to bottom. But... You know, Soraya winning, getting that massive pop that will come with it, being able to trot around the ring. This is my house now, the whole thing. That makes the most sense. And on top of that, the fact that uh, Britt Baker does not have a championship right now and she's not necessarily on a losing streak, but she's weakened. This is the best time for her to actually lose a match. You don't want Mm -hmm. her to lose when she's on the way being built back up. So it does make all the sense in the world for Soraya to win here. Now, Chris, before we move on to the main event, I'm sure everyone wants to hear us Talk about that. There is something else I want to bring up here, and it's about Sasha Banks, uh, Mercedes Verando. Um, there was a couple days ago, before we're taping this podcast, uh, there was a trademark application filed for Solnado Inc., which you have to assume is her company, uh, for a number of different names. And these names are Mercedes Monet with an accent at the end, M O N E with an accent. Monet Talks, Bank Monet, and Statement Maker. And it said the categories of these trademarkings are for jewelry, stickers and posters and things like that, coffee mugs and glasses, hats, so, you know, shirt, sweatshirts, you know, t-shirts, all that stuff, action figures and toys, and then entertainment services in the nature of live audio performances by an actor or musician, video, same type of thing, wrestling, so on and so forth. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see these trademarks all show up the week of AEW Full Gear. Now, you know, there's been some talk as well that, oh, you know, it would really make sense if Sasha Banks and Naomi returned at Survivor Series, given that's going to be in Boston, um, where she is from. Now, Full Gear is in Newark, which, you know, perhaps on its own, Newark isn't a huge deal, but it's the New York... New Jersey, you know, metro area. So it's still a really, really big show. And if she's going so far as to trademark all this type of stuff, it kind of leads one to believe maybe she's not returning to WWE after all. This entire circumstance surrounding Sasha Banks and WWE and Naomi as well, but we're talking about Sasha here. It's been very vague from the beginning to the point of we thought that they were actually released from their contracts. Then there were reports they actually never worked it out and hadn't been released. And because of that, WWE was just tacking on time since they've been sitting out for now six months. I believe literally just a day or so ago, we passed the six month anniversary of that happening. It's possible that they were released, but rather than the 90 day clause, it was actually a six month clause, which is why we're now seeing these trademarks getting filed at this juncture. It's also possible that all of this stuff could actually be for something completely unrelated to wrestling. She's doing CBD stuff and she's doing this and that and all these business ventures. Maybe she's coming out with a jewelry line or a clothing line and and she's choosing between these names and therefore she wanted to register all of them. I don't know what the answer is, but I do find it interesting that this kind of came out, these trademark names, Mercedes Monet being the most interesting out of all of them, 
the week of AEW Full Gear, the week that is the six-month anniversary of her leaving WWE, walking out of the show. And now here we sit with AEW bringing Soraya in, kind of promising a women's revolution of their own. We haven't really seen it. I don't think she shows up at Full Gear. I'm of the belief that what makes the most sense is that either A, she was never released by WWE, and they're trying to figure out a way to negotiate with her and bring her back, or she was released by WWE, and WWE is trying to figure out a way to bring her back. I just don't understand why someone of Mercedes' talent and ability and star power would go to AEW when you compare the stage of what AEW is and the stage of what WWE is. The way WWE books the women and what they have the ability and potential to do, main eventing, WrestleMania, things like that. The way AEW doesn't really feature their women and doesn't really book their women in big time positions. Now, maybe she's looking at this like I can be the Hulk Hogan where I can come in and I can completely change the trajectory of the entire company, not to mention the women's division. And maybe she does wind up in AEW. But with everything that I think I know about professional wrestling and everything I think I know about her as a performer, as a star that has exceeded WWE, going to AEW just it wouldn't make sense to me. But I did think that it needed to get brought up uh, in the context of the Full Gear Ultimate preview. Yeah, I, I don't see her going to AEW. I got to say, the best wrestling reporting in the industry is always the trademark stuff. <laughs> it's always so funny. It's pretty consistent. It yeah. is. It, it, it creates all sorts of rumors. I'm sure companies have filed uh, trademarks to get people off the scent and put fake stuff out there all the time. It's just, it's such a, it's such a pro wrestling thing. It's, it's like the equivalent of college sports and following, you know, uh, flight aware and tracking planes. And in, in, in wrestling, it's tracking mm-hmm. trademarks. It's it always is. remarkable. It's remarkable. You're right. Um, I, I, I don't see her going to AEW. She, she's clearly doing a lot of things outside of wrestling. And Triple H said that in his interview with Ariel Hawani, where he's like, she needs to figure out if she wants to do wrestling. Cause like she, she's just, she's everywhere doing a lot of different things, whether I, I, I think it's perfectly possible. These things are just side things she's doing. Even if she's going back to WWE, she may be doing these things on the side. Let me it point just, out also, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. But like Charlotte, you know, trademarked Ashley Flair and she and she trademarked a lot of other, you know, potential queen of wrestling and, and a bunch of stuff. And she's still with WWE and she and she trademarked this while she was on TV with WWE. So yeah. just because she's trademarking stuff doesn't mean she's leaving or doesn't mean she's going to AEW. But again, if you if you were a conspiracy theorist and you're, you know, putting string around these, you know, little pushpins and, you, and you're trying to um, connect the dots. I mean, it is the week of full gear. It is something that would be a ring name. That's a takeoff on her name. Statement maker sounds like a finisher name. It, you know? Yeah, it, it could be anything. Ultimately, I just, I, uh, what Sasha Banks, Mercedes Renato wants to accomplish, I, I don't see any way AEW gets her there. WWE provides a bigger platform. Now Triple H is in charge and that's our guy. Like I just, it doesn't really make any sense. So I don't think it's going to happen and we can probably move on from it now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess you could, the, the argument that you can make aside from it is she's already doing some of these other things. So does she really need AEW or WWE? I'm sorry. Does she really need WWE to help her along with those things? My argument she is she doesn't need wrestling for it. 
Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. My argument is she doesn't need wrestling for it, to which yeah. you could say, well, it doesn't matter where she wrestles. She could wrestle in Japan. She can wrestle in Mexico. She could wrestle for AEW. If she just wants to put on great wrestling, maybe she sees, well, why don't I wrestle for stardom in AEW? And, and maybe she is going to show up, right? Like, it's definitely possible. It just feels like with Adam Cole, there was a lot of smoke. With Brian Danielson, there was a lot of smoke. With CM Punk, there was a lot of smoke. With John Moxley, there was a lot of smoke. Here, there's really just this. Right. There haven't been any reports, rumors, discussions that we know of either way. Yeah, I, I, so the, I, I don't see it. Look, if it happens, I'm going to be like, oh, holy crap, I'm going to get that big pop, big surprise. I'd love to see it. I just, I don't expect it. I mean, I wouldn't love to see it just because I think she should definitely be in WWE. But in terms of like the moment, it would be an incredible pop. I mean, people would go absolutely crazy if Sasha Banks wound up on AEW. And that and that's that would be their equivalent of the John Moxley, right? It, you know, John Moxley for the men, Sasha Banks for the women. Y- yes, it, it, it would. She would be that for them. It's different because Mox got a goodbye and like we knew he was going kind of. But but yeah, right. All right. Let's move to the main event. Speaking of Mr. John Moxley, the AEW World Championship, John Moxley defending against MJF. This closed the show on Dynamite in terms of the storyline. Mox said he's the best wrestler on earth and the baddest SOB who talks shit and backs it up. He noted that none of these attributes are actually positives. He's just sick in the head, which I thought was a really funny line. Then he ran down MJF and how he got the title shot with the worst ladder match ending of all time, which I also thought was funny. Mox said MJF is playing wrestler and he's proven nothing to this point in his career. Stokely Hathaway then walked out and the firm attacked Mox and William Regal. MJF made the save with just single punches to most of the guys and then low blows to Morrissey and Page. Then he threatened all of them. MJF told Mox, He only saved him, so he had no excuse in their match. He said Mox is tough, but MJF is not the same guy he fought last time because he needs the AEW title more than water, food, or oxygen. MJF repeated that he is the devil as Mox finally like regained himself to stand up. He cut off MJF's catchphrase. Mox said if MJF can't find it deep down, he'll reach in and pull it out of him. There's also a little bit of a fun moment where Mox screwed up, uh, calling it Sunday, the pay-per-view, and then asking MJF, is it Sunday or Saturday? And MJF's like Saturday. I thought that was really funny because guess what? I have screwed up what day this is on uh, over the entire week. I had like, I know it's on Saturday, but for some reason in my brain, pay-per-views are on Sunday. Um, Look, here's the deal with this. Much of what we've gotten from these two guys over the last couple of weeks, it's been outstanding. MJF in particular has cut some dynamite promos, no pun intended. But these on the go-home show, They just didn't really hit for me. They both kind of fell flat. I think everything else that we've gotten from these guys up until this point was better than what we got on the go-home show. Yeah, it it was disappointing. Like I said, I haven't seen a ton of AEW the last two weeks, but what I have watched are MJF promos because that that is the guy you can't miss every week. And yeah, it kind of comes into like, is this going to be the big MJF moment? If it is, is that kind of the way you wanted to to go out? I don't know. Like maybe it's just the way AEW does things, but you feel like if it had been in WWE, it would have felt like a more impactful way to go home. The Saturday Sunday bit, I've messed that up too. Moxley was speaking for all of us when we were saying we wish this was happening on Sunday and not during College Football Saturday when we have to work. So thank you for saying that, Mox. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, like my whole thing, like MJF in this whole devil gimmick, not gimmick, but, but this devil 
era of his character. It just doesn't really make sense to me. It's so like the whole thing with MJF is, is he a healer? Is he not? He says, I don't care. I'm over like the rock, like Stone Cold. It doesn't matter. And he's not wrong. He, he He's definitely not wrong in that sense. I just feel like mm-hmm. if he was a clear cut baby face who was just like a dick sometimes like Stone Cold or even the rock, like that's that works. And so I'm like, I'm not. I'm not fully embracing my arms around him being like, all right, man, here we go. This is your moment. And I feel like going into this match, we should, we should feel that or not. You know, when, 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 when the hangman page stuff went down, when he got hurt and MJF came out and he said, for the first time in my life, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to get this done. I was like, Oh man, like that hit me. Like that's, that's it. That's the growth of this character. Instead. He's, he's got the firm still, He's calling himself the the devil. I'm just like, well, he I don't doesn't know have the firm though, because he's well, against them doing these attacks. He's he's trying to you know tell them that I don't want your help after they existed in the first place to get him the chip in that ladder match, and then he's like, they're going to have my back whenever I need them, and they're not going to have my back when I don't. And you know, the last couple of weeks, the storyline has been um, you know Stokely trying to get these guys to fight MJF's battles for him and attack Mox and do that type of stuff. And MJF kind of saying, I don't want this. Stop. And if you keep doing it, I'm going to fire you. And I think he did fire him or something like that. And then I think it was last week, uh, the firm was basically like, too bad. You gave us a mission. We're going to complete it. Right. Screw you. And we'll beat your ass up too. <laughs> yeah. So it, well, let me, let me, let me talk. Right. That, that's right. That's totally fair. You, you go. You go. That's let fair. me speak to that angle a little bit, just because. So the, the storytelling has been convoluted as hell, right? I, I think you and I, at all out when we were talking about MJF winning the chip and how that transpired. We had a lot of problems, right? With what they did. Um, The reveal ended up being solid enough and the explanation ended up being solid enough to have it all kind of come together. The question that we now have to ask is twofold. One, did Tony Khan completely change his booking plans because of crowd reaction to MJF or He didn't like the way the firm was going, whatever the case. Did he change his booking plans or is this entire thing a red herring? And that is where I lean. Why, for for what reason? I know he had the promo with William Regal and all that shit. But for what reason would this guy who's gone winning with the Dynamite Diamond Ring and Wardlow cheating for him and low blows and everything he's done, the entirety of us knowing this MJF character. Why suddenly now does he not want help? Why suddenly now is he not going to use the dynamite diamond ring? Why suddenly now within a three month period after he created and hired the firm and had them stop a ladder match cold to grab a chip for him so he didn't have to put in a shred of work to become number one contender. Why now would he not want any of that help? Right. I think it's all bullshit. Uh, in terms of kayfabe. So my prediction here, and this is one of the reasons why it connects to the Eliminator tournament in terms of who's going to be number one contender. My prediction here is this was all a ruse. And one of two things are going to happen. The craziest, arguably best possible thing that AEW could do would be William Regal turning on John Moxley And their promo segment being a ruse the entire time, Regal siding with MJF, helping him win the title 
off Mox. I don't think that's going to happen. But if I was booking the damn territory, if I had the book, that's what I would do. It would get immense heat on Regal. It would get immense heat on MJF. And he would be this detestable heel world champion for AEW. What I think is much more likely to happen is something similar, but that him firing the firm and telling them he doesn't want them to beat up Mox and all that, that part is a ruse. And something happens in the match where the firm comes down and, you know, distracts Mox and they get chased away from ringside and through all the chaos, Stokely hands MJF the diamond ring and he punches Mox, even though he said he wasn't going to use it or just something to that effect. I don't know. I'm not saying it's exactly that. But something to that effect happens and MJF wins the title and is a heel champion. I think a lot of people want to cheer MJF. If they don't do anything like that and MJF just beats Mox clean, I think he's going to get babyface cheers and all that stuff. But you're coming off a babyface champion who succeeded a babyface champion. And it's just like, and who, who succeeded a babyface champion? Because it was Mox, CM Punk, Mox. And what do we know about MJF? He's at his best when he is a pure heel. And what do we know about wrestling? What's generally best is when your champion is a heel and there's babyface challengers chasing them. So for all of those reasons, Chris, my prediction is MJF walks out as the AEW champion via some heelish tactics along the lines of what I mentioned. I will also predict, even if that doesn't happen, he walks out as AEW champion. But I do think it's going to be he walks out as a heel champion. Your scenario you just laid out is exactly what I think is going to happen. Which one? Because I laid out two. The the one where he gets help and cheats to win. Maybe oh, it's Regal. One way or Maybe. another. However, yeah, it happens, the firm, Regal, something, whatever. I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that's going to be a mistake. I Interesting. Think okay. When, when Jarek, the, the all out press conference, we remember all the CM Punk drama about it. But there was a line there from Chris Jericho that I think I mentioned on our post show or the next week. Jericho said he told MJF, you're going to be such a baby face when you come back. And MJF didn't want to hear it, didn't believe it. And Jericho said, no, dude, just watch. It's going to happen. And they have been. They, they fought it initially. Fans were chanting for him against CM Punk and they weren't supposed to. He was supposed to kind of get booed for all that, I think. Then they maybe shifted a bit to the last couple of weeks where he's where he is kind of trying to be a face, maybe. Only, I believe, to flip it back and have him be a heel champion. And it look, on paper, it makes sense. He's the best heel in all of wrestling. He's such a good asshole. You can just, you hate him. Like, it's so easy to hate him. You it love makes all him. the sense in the world. However... He's just too cool right now. He's so cool. He is. And the, he, he, he said, screw you to the company and left and came back and said, F you, Tony Khan. All these things came back to big cheers. People want to cheer this guy. They just do. And they haven't done the full on baby face turn yet. And I don't think they're going to. And I think they should because I think people just like him too much. So what you have to do is fully lean in to him being your big baby face. And then at some point, you go back the other way. He he cuts the legs out of some baby face that we like or something like that. It, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing as Roman Reigns, where you had to make him heal. 
to get him back to be a to, to get him back to be a face that you want. Mm-hmm. I think you have to take MJF to be a full on baby face to get him back to the heel that you want him to be. And I don't think they're going to do that. I think it's going to be what you said. My pick is MJF to win. My pick is to do it as a heel. But that idea of like, I'm finally going to do this on my own. He, it, like it, it works. It makes sense. He'll get a huge reaction. He's your face of the company. Maybe it's only a couple of months, but I, I think you really got to lean into being a face more. And I don't think they're going to do it. Interesting. I, I do think that you're right in that there's a huge benefit, right, to him being a babyface. It's also tough, though, because he's in this match and Mox is already kind of a tweener to some degree. I mean, he's he's a face, but like he can easily turn on a dime and, and, and take on a heelish role. And we may well see that in the match where like Mox is just so aggressive. The referee pushes him away. He keeps attacking yes. him. You know, they could do the full double turn during the match. And if they do, and if we see that transpiring, then it's going to be very obvious, you know, what that indication is, why they're doing it that way. Also, let's not forget, Mox is taking time off, right? We assume he's going to drop the title and go on this vacation that he had planned with Renee that they never got to take, except Renee just debuted on television, right? So maybe they're not doing that. I don't really know exactly what the plans are. But the the overall larger point is that, yes, I do think they have that potential in MJF to have a white, hot baby face. But the difference between MJF and The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin is that Steve Austin was, when he became Stone Cold, it started as a heel briefly, but he was very quickly an anti-authority babyface and it it made sense. The Rock, even when he was a heel, he got those great babyface style reactions. And I think modeling MJF's career more off Rock, where his heel face dynamic depends on who he's challenging, who he's fighting with, what storyline he's in, rather than just being his default kind of persona. I think that to me makes more sense than the alternative. So, you know, it's just kind of tough. I don't know how it would really make all the sense in the world to have MJF win squeaky clean without doing anything nefarious against Mox, who's been built up in AEW as the guy in the company. Now, if he is to do that, then he's going to cash in on all the promises he made and all the claims he's made. And he will be the quote unquote greatest wrestler in the industry, at least in terms of AEW, right? In in their kayfabe world. Uh, He will be the greatest ever because he will have climbed that mountaintop. I just don't see how at this juncture, when he was just, when he came back as a heel and he cheated to win and everything he's done has been heelish up until that William Regal promo segment, it, it seems like it's way too short of a period of time to turn him babyface. If you were going to do it, you would have done it at the onset where he comes right. back as a babyface, as the surprise final entrant, wins the ladder match, gets a huge babyface pop, and is then a babyface from there all the way in this three-month build while Mox turns heel at the same time, right? Going into yep. So yep. that is how I would have done this. There's also a chance, obviously, the way All Out ended was with CM Punk as champion. So perhaps they had him planned to go in one direction. And then after the CM Punk situation happened, brawl out, uh, they decided, hey, you know what? We need to change course and put MJF in a different direction. So it's tough to say what the plans were. It's tough to say what the plans are. It's intriguing. I'll tell you this, Chris, uh, this pay-per-view, you know, not overly excited about the entire thing. 
but extremely excited about this match. This is the type of match that gets someone to buy a show. If it wasn't yes. for this, I mean, yep. we'd be buying it anyway because we do the podcast. But if I was just a normal fan and this match wasn't on the card, I'm not buying this show. But because it is, I would 100% buy the pay-per-view. Yep. I- I've got a friend who um, covers Penn State football and Penn State is playing at Rutgers on Saturday. And this person was like, I think I'm going to go to All Out just because I want to see MJF <laughs> win the title. And th- th- that's exactly what that does. And I agree over the last three months, you, you could have could have and maybe should have built this up a bit differently with MJF if you want him to be a face. It, it, it may not be the right time to do it. And again, a great face, a great baby face MJF is only as good as if he has a good heel to go up against. And right. he doesn't right now. I think Moxley would be an amazing heel in AW. He hasn't been that yet, but we just we don't really have that yet. That's so. another great point. If he is a babyface champion, who's the heel challenger right away? Right. Ethan Page, because of the firm. I mean, how that's not a good challenger. And even if that's just for winter is coming, then who's next? Who's your big heel challenger? There are no real big heels. But there's a in, plethora in the of babyfaces yeah. who could step up and challenge him, including Ricky Starks, Darby Allen, all these people he's you know feuded with previously, Brian Danielson. There's tons of options for him if he is a heel champion. Um, also one more thing real quick. Don't forget Long Island boy. This is in Newark, New Jersey. So if you think he's not going to win the title here, I mean, it's possible he doesn't, but everything is set up for MJF to walk out as champion. Chris, we always wrap up our ultimate previews with giving a pre-show expectation grade for, uh, pay-per-views and premium live events. We will post a poll one hour before the show begins. So all of you, the getting overheads can vote on Twitter at getting overcast. But when we do these pre-show grades on the podcast, I always let you go first. What is your pre-show expectation grade for AEW full gear? I'm thinking, I feel like I say this all the time. You're going to say B plus, aren't you? I'm going to say B plus, but I think it's going <laughs> to, but I think it's going to be a low B plus as opposed to a high B plus. So 87 is, out of hundred. There, there is enough out of here. And it's largely because if not for Moxie MJF, this would be B minus. It's really, I think, that match that is putting this up to a B plus. So for some some greater context around that, there's just, you know, as I look, there's just there's seven out of 11 titles, but none of them feel big except for the main event. Yeah, I mean, I think we're getting, you know, two title changes that we talked about. Um, One obvious or sorry, two title changes, both Both, of which would be pretty obvious if they happen. If anything else changes that would be surprising and probably help boost my grade. But I go into it with a B. I think it's going to be a very good show. I think there will be some matches that have great work rate, others that won't, some that intrigue me and exceed my expectations, others that fall below my expectations. And it's really going to hinge on the main event. If the main event is great and executed perfectly, then maybe they'll get up into you know that A- minus type of range. But if not, it could certainly fall below. So I'm giving them, I think, what I think is a very fair grade given the build for this show. Again, some of the build has been really good. Some of it has been extremely, extremely lackluster. So I think sitting right at a flat B gives them a huge opportunity to exceed my expectations and a relatively low floor because it's not going to be a bad show. Like It's not going to be a D or anything like that. So, you know, I think sitting at a B uh, where I'm at is fair. And of course, as I said, we will get all of your pre-show expectation grades. You, the listeners, the getting overheads on Twitter at getting overcast. The poll will get posted one hour before full gear begins. And you'll also have an opportunity to provide your post show grades, which will publish that poll as soon as AEW full gear 
goes off the air while we are in the midst of taping your AEW full gear instant analysis podcast that will be available right here very late Saturday night or first thing Sunday morning, most likely first thing Sunday morning here on the East Coast in the United States, given these shows usually end at midnight as it is. Uh, So Chris, thank you for joining this AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview Edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As I said, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, do not forget that this podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a five-star review. And if you do, we will read it here on the show. Thank you all for listening. Do not miss our WWE and NXT episodes already published this week. Do not miss our AEW Full Gear Instant Analysis coming late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, as soon as this pay-per-view goes off the air. But at this point, the Silver King is going to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.